welcome to the Time Shifters podcast. I'm your host, Christopher. This podcast takes a fun look at the films of long past, recent past, and the almost present, as well as the events and news surrounding them. I would love to hear from you, and there are several ways to get in touch with the show. Look for the Time Shifters podcast group on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Time Shifters Pod, or you can send us a typed or recorded message to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and please check us and our fellow podcasters out over on podchaser.com. Please rate and review the show at any of these outlets. All these links can be found on timeshifterspodcast.com. Now let's head to the Timeshifter studio and start the show. Everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters Podcast. My name is Christopher. I am here with my awesome co-host and good friend, Tom. Howdy, good friend, Chris. <laughs> Have you been? Well, you know, like the rest of the world, cooped up in my little box, just trying to figure out when life gets to return to whatever we'll call normal again. Yes, exactly. Um, here in uh, in the state of Ohio, they are apparently starting to slowly uh, allow some businesses to open up. But uh, I think there's a good portion of the population that's going, I'm just going to hang back a little bit, if that's okay. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of what we're we're where we are at. Yeah, uh, uh, being out here in Maryland, uh, I think we're letting the rest of, the, of you all go and they'll go, Let's see what happens to you guys, and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> well, I think I'm going to have to like start venturing out a little bit. Uh, my mom has called almost like every three days, or she's got a list of things she needs help with. <laughs> and so I'm going to have to uh, mask up and venture out and just try really hard to not uh, get anybody sick or whatever. But uh, at some point, you kind of have to go see your mom. <laughs> well, there is that. Uh, and, uh, well, for me, this is all relative, uh, being considered an essential worker in my role. Uh, I venture out nearly every day in some capacity or another. So when, when this, uh, all blows over or whatever version it is, uh, uh I'll have already kind of gotten used to being out there a little bit. Yeah, I get out pretty much like a few minutes during the week, maybe to go grab some takeout. Yep. And then um, about every two to three weeks, I do venture out for supplies. <laughs> you got to go get the stores. <laughs> uh, this weekend, I do believe, is going to be a supply run and also a, uh, a refuse uh, disposal one. We've got 10 bags of uh, yard waste we got to get rid of. I got to actually take down to the dump, uh, <laughs> to the landfill to get rid of. Oh, wow. Because uh, the... They will not take them from the curb because of the way they bill the garbage pickup. We don't pay for the, uh, you put it out there, they'll take it a package, unfortunately. So That's one of those minor little things I'm looking forward to. Our county has had our dump closed since the onset of this thing. So Oh, wow. So And I'm a stickler for recycling, and my apartment mm. complex has nowhere to recycle, so I keep to having to find the random recycling dumpster in somebody's parking yes. lot. <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm very lucky. Our township has uh, several uh, places uh, scattered throughout the township where they have, like, 
four or five dumpsters yeah. that are just for recycling. Plus, we do get recycling pickup every week as well. But for anything larger, lots of my son does a paper route, and we get piles of newspaper, sure. extra newspaper, and we'll I'll run that up every week or every two weeks, and and, and dump that up and. Yeah, the uh, the yard waste is something we need to get rid of. Uh, they did say uh, in the email, like, yeah, no, you can dump it off anytime, Saturday or Sunday, but you have to get, you know, do it yourself. So they're not even going to come anywhere near me. I'm like, all right, that's fine. I don't care as long as I get rid of it. It's all good. You loaded it up in the first place so you can unload it. Just like I was saying, just kind of mask up. We've got some of the, uh, you know, homemade sewn up cotton masks that we can use. And I've got some new masks I think are on order um the website we got them from they were highly rated and it looked good and they were a, a nice kind of form fitting with the filter and everything and they're saying they shipped they said <laughs> they were sending an email when they shipped i never got an email but now it does say that they ship so they might get here sometime soon i looked into there was a uh, a mexican masked wrestler <laughs> who is of course out of work uh, so he and his family started using the uh, the same satin-like materials that they use the uh, the luchador masks, yeah. you know, and they started making uh, uh, masks, you know, for for people to wear. And how awesome was that? And they would do them with all the designs of the famous Mexican uh, luchador wrestlers. I thought that is awesome. So I looked into it, and they they finally found out that you he was uh, selling them through his Facebook page. Yeah. And I went there, and I was kind of, kind of scouring through his page, and then I saw I, you know, fortunately Facebook translates everything, yeah. and it said that you know no more uh, Facebook orders were swamped. If you want anything, go to WhatsApp and you know order there. So he had the number and everything. So I got the WhatsApp and I put in the number and I sent him a message. And it turns out they don't understand English. Oh God! <laughs> so. I could get my wife to try, but I was like, uh, it might not be worth the effort because it's to. I don't even know if they're shipping to the states, and it would probably cost as much to ship them as it would to buy them. <laughs> as awesome as much as I want these things, it may not be worth the trouble. I'll see. I'm still rocking my. Uh, I got one of those uh, those high altitude uh, trainer uh, masks for running. Um, and when you put it on, it looks very much like something uh, that Bane was wearing in the uh, Dark Knight Rises. And uh, I fitted that with an N95 on the inside of it. So I've I got excellent filtration. Uh, it looks kind of mean. <laughs> and it's a little <laughs> more stylish. Um, and then I walked into a Target and the security guy that was in there... I don't know if he was trying to talk to me or not, because I was I was a good 10, 15 feet past him at this point. And all of a sudden, I just hear behind me go, that's a cool mask. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I turned around and I just I didn't even speak. I just nodded. to him. <laughs> you know, that's something I've you've, you've already seen it, that people are making it kind of like in a fashion accessory. Oh, Absolutely. And and I think you're going to see it increase. I mean, there's talk about right now. There's so many people out of work. Well, people are kind of taking this as an opportunity to create this business and making these sort of stylish masks. And I was like, that's actually really clever. I kind of like that idea. It's like that's what kind of gives me. Okay, yeah, I'll wear that every day if I can. You know, 
color coordinated to whatever I'm wearing or, or have a really cool design on it or be able to, you know, I, I wear my, you know, geek pride on my sleeve. Why not on my face? Oh, you know? I know. Um, right after I got that mask that I wanted for dual purposes, uh, on Facebook, one of the things that I did manage to see and that a ton of people started sending me were you could get masks that were Star Trek The Next Generation themed. So they were the, the various uniforms. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I totally get those. <laughs> yeah, no, I love them. It, it, it actually comes down to like now it's kind of like, yeah, but I'm kind of like on a limited budget now. Right. So I can't or I can't just spend and buy every mask that I see that I like. <laughs> yeah, no, as is uh, this week, uh, I um, one of my favorite uh, uh, little geekdom things is uh, uh, the anime series and, and comics uh, that were created for a character called Guyver. Not to be confused with the uh, Mark Hamill movie, <laughs> which is based <laughs> on the character and all that, but that's about where it ends. Sideshow, finally, uh, I bought this last year. Uh, it's a Guyver 3 statue, and right when money needs to be a little more tightly controlled is when they release that and ask for the rest of the money for that statue. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, well, I guess we're getting that. <laughs> I don't need to eat next week. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a cool mask though? If it was kind of like Guyver like oh, God, yeah. looking, <laughs> had the little had the little you know, psh, psh, you know, the exhaust things on the uh, that would rock. I, I just wear the whole damn helmet. <laughs> 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 Nothing like going to the grocery store in, in like t shirt and shorts and a big Guyver helmet. <laughs> <laughs> See, China's been doing this ever since SARS. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, so masks are just common through the, right. through, through the Asian countries for just getting around from day to day for whatever reason to prevent whatever thing, whether or not there's something to be preventing at the time. I see us taking that to the nth degree because they just go around in all the little white masks. Um, if we're going to be having to think about masks as an ongoing thing, it's going to get pretty radical. <laughs> We're we're gonna Americanize it. Oh yeah, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do it big. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I actually kind of welcome that if it keeps people a little safer, a little more conscious of what's going on around them, and they can have some fun doing it. Bring it on. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Uh, we like I said, we got some of these just the the homemade cotton masks, and they're all various patterns. Most of them are, you know, most of them, they look like they're made out of just scraps from someone who made blankets or something like that yeah. uh, there's just lots of you know flower patterns and whatever they're they're fine and so you do kind of find the one that's the least like doesn't look like your grandmother's blouse kind of thing when you want to wear but there was one that actually does have like little small frankenstein faces and lightning bolts yeah so that's kind of like my favorite so that's the one that i wear like if i'm going to wear it for if i'm going out to get, get takeout i just grab any of them right uh yeah, red red chrysanthemums. Yeah, fine, great, got that one. But if I'm going out for the weekend for shopping, it's the Franken mask. Absolutely. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta have your stepping out mask. Uh, exactly. Right. The formal. And, and, and to all of those that are out there that might be listening, who are a little resistant to all of this, who think your your rights are being infringed upon and all that, 
please don't see it for that. This is an opportunity to help each other out, protect one another. And look at it as an opportunity to let your personality fly through this thing. You're into a sports team. Find yourself a big old NFL team uh, mask or, or whatever your thing is. But find your thing and put it on display. Or if you uh, you like to promote the podcast that you listen to, damn straight, uh, <laughs> you can go to our T Public store. And unfortunately, right now, I think all their masks are sold out. But they do plan on getting more in. But you can get any of the designs in our T Public store. You can get in mask form, including some that I put up there that just recently that are specialized for masks. So check it out. I, I I did one just real quick, just then in a Photoshop and put it up there that just said, heroes wear masks. Nice. <laughs> put, put that on the, as a design for the mask and I got it posted and ready to go and that's what I see the notice that like, oh, we're out of masks. Like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> this shameless plug brought to you by <laughs> <laughs> Well, why not? It is our podcast after all. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so I uh, may indeed. When they have get the masks back in, I think I will probably get the nice big uh, Time Shifters logo on a mask and uh, wear that one around as well. I may have to do the same. After all, I got to vary them up, and not to mention that uh, that uh, high altitude mask does kind of make me sound like Bane as well, <laughs> <laughs> which is both good and bad. Because just like the the complaints in the movie, sometimes people don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that is the the funny thing. When you're wearing a mask and after you wear it for a little bit, you don't really think about wearing it. So you walk into some place and you see somebody and you smile at them. And then a split second later, you think, they don't know I'm smiling at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I both love and hate about mine is because it does it is a little bigger a little more uh intimidating looking and i'm generally a friendly guy so i'm smiling at people they have no idea it looks like i'm out to murder them (laughs) (laughs) and yeah getting used to talking through them you know i don't know if you can hear me (laughs) oh that that's truly the joy of all this too this is nothing better than running into somebody that's maybe a little hard of hearing and trying to talk to them (laughs) through a mask it's a whole lot of what? What? <laughs> St- trying to stand six feet apart and through a mask. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to end up, it, the coronavirus is all going to go go its way and everyone's going to be suffering from laryngitis. <laughs> and there's nothing better than going up to the uh, drive through window where you, you hear from them. And then you go right back, you talk to them back. Actually, I was just thinking, this is this is the uh, consumer's revenge for all those drive through speakers you can't understand them through anyway. <laughs> Absolutely, that's too much fun. Well, with everything else going on, uh, have you been uh, checking anything else out or watching anything? How's your uh, re-watches and anything new you picked up? Well, uh, as we were discussing uh, earlier, uh, I... I decided to venture out into the uh, Dora movie <laughs> and was, <laughs> was was enjoying it for the goofy little romp that that thing is. <laughs> it, that's a perfect way to describe the film. It is a goofy little romp. My family and I watched it when it first came to home video. I think it's I think it's fun. I it's not a bad movie. I mean, it's not great. There's some kind of cringeworthy parts, but overall 
it's a lot of fun. I mean, like I was describing to you, it knows exactly what it is, and it plays up to that. It does. Uh, it, it panders outright to it. It's just... <laughs> it, uh, when... When the other characters in the movie acknowledge that this Dora character is beyond ridiculous in the way that she seems behaving like she's in a TV show all the time, it's just too much. Uh, So it was actually kind of fun to watch. Other than that, I am still making my way through the, uh, the... first season of Enterprise, uh, watch, rewatching that really kind of, I, I've really found, uh, a, a vibe on Star Trek again these days. So I've, I've been trying to get back into those. How about you? What are you into? Uh, nothing really new. I'm still kind of smattering around, just kind of grabbing whatever odd thing shows up on Prime or on Tubi, um, and, and watching it. Sometimes they're fun. Sometimes... Not so much. Um, nothing that really truly stands out. I haven't uh, done any, any real rewatches or anything recently. Um, yeah, just the usual stuff that I kind of every now and again dive into and pull out the DVDs for uh, the old uh, the '60s Avengers with uh, uh, Patrick McNee and um, blanking on her name, Diana Rigg. I like to throw those in every now and again and watch a few of those didn't have anything else to do the other night i put in just knocked three of them out just just let it run and just kind of half watched i guess you know why you sit there and play on your phone kind of thing oh, yeah. but i did re-watch uh recently i gotten uh, just a hankering to re-watch the phantom yes, with uh, billy zane yes yes i saw you uh talking about that and uh i was busy remembering when we went <laughs> yes Yes, we went and saw that in a theater. I remember us having to go a bit out of our way to find it playing in the theater. Because I think it was maybe the second weekend. Because the first weekend, it was probably in, in all the theaters. And the second weekend, it was in like three. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> it, it didn't hang out long. And then. No. And then I believe we were going also partially for the giveaway related to it. I think that was a surprise. Was it? I don't think any of us expected that. We just went in there, and there was a guy like, you know, oh, yeah, we're here to see the Phantom in here. And he, he, they gave us the Phantom the Ring. Phantom it ring. was a nice ring. I still have it. It was an actual metal ring. Yes. No, I remember that. Actually, my girlfriend's a little disappointed I don't have it. <laughs> we may have two lying around because my... um then girlfriend now wife was with us and she had one as well but i'm not sure where that disappeared to i know i've got mine still on a desk upstairs but you you didn't exchange those with your vows (laughs) no should have i guess should have had some a couple diamonds placed in the in the eyes or something like that that is one of those films i i unabashedly still enjoy that film i just it is completely over the top treat williams is so ridiculously over the top in that as uh, the the villain. It's so much fun. Billy Zane, I think, is great. It got it turned me on to the Phantom. I, I after I saw that film, I went and kind of looked at a lot of the the Lee Falk, uh, the old Phantom comics and stuff like that. And I I think it's a fun character. I mean, this is a character. It's like the first superhero, uh, the first costume superhero. Uh, he predates Batman and and everybody. Wow. Uh, so I think laugh at you at the purple tights if you will <laughs> without him you may not have the dark knight <laughs> that's fair i even remember hearing this in one of uh bruce campbell's books uh but uh 
he was actually in contention for the Phantom role. He was like the number two choice. I heard that. I wasn't sure if that was true, but if it came right from Bruce Campbell, then I guess it is. Yeah, no, like he's gone back since and go, uh, yeah, no, I, I was I was going to be in your film, but you gave that to Billy Zane. <laughs> like, I I think Billy Zane did a great job. I, I think I read somewhere where he kind of tried to step away from it um, when it, after it kind of did it the box office bomb. Yeah. Uh, but I think since then he's kind of warmed back up to it because it kind of created the sort of little cult status. It is kind of funny about uh, a lot of that. Uh, the Those kind of genre pieces, uh, they uh, uh, they don't always necessarily catch fire in, in the uh, theater, but the, then they go on and just last uh, because the audience that liked it love it. Right. And I could be misremembering that. I, I might be confusing that with another uh, bit of trivia on another film or something like that. But I know Billy Zane himself was a fan of Lee Falk's The Phantom, which is one of the reasons he was really keen on doing the part. Very cool. It was really cool. I love this. They had originally built the Phantom suit to be sort of like um, like the Batman suit yeah. of, you know, of 89 with all the, the fake built-in Fake muscles. Muscles. The fake muscles to make it look and everything. But he went on a training rampage for like the year prior. So he shows up on set ready to be the Phantom and they had to redo the suit to take out all the fake muscles because he was... He had the real muscles. (laughs) He had the real muscles to fill it out. So I think that is awesome. That was dedication there. Yeah, you gotta wonder what the suit would have looked like with the fake muscles on top of real muscles would he he'd look like a balloon guy and <laughs> not be able to walk uh speaking of bruce campbell though uh and uh what i've been watching is i've been getting back into uh the uh adventures of briscoe county jr really how does that hold up i never watched a lot of it i would watch a little bit of it like at your house because you were a big fan yeah. and it would be you'd have it on or you'd want to watch an episode i never watched that much of it I well one actually holds up pretty well since it's a period piece anyways I mean it, it, there's True. not a whole lot to date it no uh, I find it still uh, very compelling and fun to watch uh, and it's one of those uh, the the first uh, the pilot episode is probably the slower uh, piece it actually builds and gets better character development as it goes I really would have loved to have seen it make it out of into a second or even more seasons um but it Mm -hmm. has that it has that old wild wild west feel to it that right right right. yeah that mixture of uh science fiction and western um it's just yeah it's a it's a whole lot of fun and the uh john bly villain i remember the villain the the actor is just one of those actors that just makes the best venomous villain he does because uh, he 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 just he exudes this whole I'm untouchable. He's so confident in how he is. He even comes off slightly effeminate, but it's like powerful the way that he's doing it. Like you, nobody's allowed to define me. I'm me, and I'm worse than all of you. So, oh Billy Drago, I knew he had a name. I knew he had like a villain name. <laughs> Billy Drago is the name of the character. <laughs> Or in the name of the actor. The actor, yeah, yeah. That that name's actually more more compelling than John Bly. <laughs> yeah, he really should have just gone with the uh, with his name as it was. <laughs> yeah. 
but no, it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, the only the, the only off-putting thing is I'm watching it through Prime, and to watch this free, it does come with ads. So oh, okay. So you get, you still get your former commercial break. <laughs> yeah, well, that actually kind of that actually kind of works sometimes with television. At least when it was television that was made for commercials, right? It, it's not. It's not worse. I, I I really hate seeing something that wasn't made for commercials have to get broken up to fit commercials. Well, that's the one thing that throws me off. Uh, like if I when I'm watching uh, Mystery Science Theater on Pluto TV, Pluto mm-hmm. still has ads, but they don't put the ads in where Mystery Science Theater was originally broken. What? <laughs> oh God, that's got to be annoying. It really is because. Yeah, because sometimes they'll have that bumper where they're about to go to break, um, right? And then the then it'll continue on, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the action, two minute two minutes later, boom, the actual break. Gone. Yeah. <laughs> what? That's one. That's one things I really applaud uh, Tubi for. Oh yeah. Have you ever watched anything on that? I haven't the watched T-U-B-I, on, on Tubi. Tubi. No. Films and t- films and television all ad supported, but they do a really great job of actually placing the ads at good spots if it's a television show they place the ads where the commercial breaks would be if it's a movie it's like an act ends or the scene comes to a close there'll be an ad yeah and it's not in the middle of anything it's like it's not and here comes the big car chase brought to you by you know what you know (laughs) they actually do a really nice job uh with the ad breaks on those so it's not a horrible experience watching stuff on there. Nice. And you get to see a lot of things. You have to be kind of know what you're watching. If I find something on Tubi that looks like I want something I want to watch, I have to go and look and see if it's actually available on Prime because <laughs> <laughs> it might <laughs> I might be able to watch it without ads at all. Right. But there are a lot of things that you wouldn't be able to find for free on any of the free or, you know, included without ads streaming services you can find on Tubi and it's a little bit just like your Netflix or whatever, where things kind of come and go, you know, they bring in new stuff, old stuff that hasn't been watched or the contracts up or whatever. They cycle things, but it's, yeah, it's not a bad service. I kind of, I really like it. I'll have to look into some of that a little more. And occasionally you can find some really oddball stuff, which is, you know, I'm a magnet for, (laughs) or is a magnet for me, I should say. And your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) sometimes that's what i like about tubi is it's free (laughs) there is that (laughs) you need all that my wallet sometimes listeners may have noticed we're kind of rambling and talking about a little bit of everything because there hasn't been a whole lot of entertainment news mainly because there hasn't been a whole lot of entertainment right uh less and less as we go on there was a story that came up just recently this week uh the week of recording that apparently Tom Cruise and Elon Musk are in talks to film a action-adventure film in outer space. There's no uh, studios or anything currently involved, but apparently these two are talking. It won't be a Mission Impossible. It's apparently the only thing that's been confirmed. Thank God. So this is a very real, but yet still in the early stages of development. Okay, the only thing I could think of is kind of like, why? I'm all for the spectacle. I'm all for the gimmick. You know, I'm 
I'm the William Castle fan. I'm, you know, putting the buzzers in the seats in the theaters kind of thing. You know, I, I think that's awesome. That's fun. If that's why you want to do it, just for the gimmick, okay, it's fine. But that's maybe a little too extreme. I mean, that you, the first thing that came to my mind was, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, you know, knowing where we are with space travel in general... Um, I can't imagine what exactly we're going to get out of sending Tom Cruise to space. Because it's not like it's going to be a ginormous action sequence. The amount of safety rigors that'll have to be in place just to send him up and bring him back. It's going to be him locked in a seat with whoever the hell else is there locked in a seat. They're going to go up for a few minutes and they're going to come back down. The complications of space travel combined with the complications of filmmaking, just no. And and especially, we're in a time where, with our visual effects, you don't need to send somebody to space. (laughs) You can recreate it right here in the safety of a studio. Uh, And and, uh, and for a whole lot cheaper. <laughs> I mean, we're in the middle of what is going to be an unparalleled economic downturn, and you want to do one of the most expensive things in the world to do for however many minutes worth of footage you're actually going to get out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm guessing it will definitely hold the record for the most expensive movie ever made at, you know, three and a half billion dollars. <laughs> Yeah, and all of this really, and let's be real, if they do it at all, this is just advertisement for SpaceX. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's going to be the Elon Musk, the true story or something, yeah, (laughs) based on true events. Oh, is he going to rant about uh, the uh, quarantine as well? My thought, though, was, like, I hope Tom Cruise has something in writing that he isn't going to end up as a passenger in the Tesla. I just got to wonder what the insurance on something like this is going to be, too. I mean, insurance companies gave up on Jackie Chan a long time ago. Uh, What's this going to mean now? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I think this is in very early stages of development, and I think you will find that this goes absolutely nowhere. I I, I just don't see this happening. I I think you heard, and, and the fact that we have talked about it, it is exactly what they wanted to have happen in the first place uh true we, true we got talking about elon musk spacex and well tom cruise just goes right yeah there wasn't any couches for tom cruise to jump on so <laughs> social distancing makes that hard <laughs> right so this is just him saying i'm still here <laughs> <laughs> please remember me <laughs> This was just something else that popped up just uh, just today, I think. It was a, a YouTube video, and I just posted it to the uh, Facebook group. So if anybody wants to check this out or just go to YouTube and, and Google it, there's a man in Long Island, New York, that spent, in his estimation, estimation about $100,000 to make a replica Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I saw that. It's beautiful. <laughs> It's astounding. It it is. (laughs) (laughs) I I say that with partial question mark. Uh, No, it's a beautiful recreation. And uh, it begs more the question, why? (laughs) Because you explains it. 
Yeah, well, he explains in the video that he went and saw this film. His parents took him to see the film. He was like four years old or something like that. And he just fell in love with this car, and he's been obsessed with it his whole life. Big collector of, just a fan of the film. And so he's been a big collector of film memorabilia. He's he's met Dick Van Dyke, and uh, he just was effectively obsessed with it, like many of us are obsessed with certain films or certain props or whatever. And so he just... You know, watched the film. He said nearly he must have watched the film about 200 times, taking screenshots and everything of the car. Actually, uh, flew to New York or not New York uh, to Los Angeles uh, a couple times to actually see uh, one of the, the the actual production cars. And he took measurements and figured everything out. Bought an old car. Uh, much of this car is nearly a hundred years old. Oh, wow. You know, a lot of original parts and everything from the this old beater that he that he picked up and then from there he just constructed this car much like the character in in the film i think that was just pretty damn awesome and the thing is a work of art i mean i've always been in love with the chitty chitty bang bang car and so you actually see this guy driving down the street in this thing you're like oh (laughs) (laughs) well yeah and uh that that's that's amazing. I did I, for similar reasons. I fell in love with a guy that actually managed to make his own 1989 Batmobile and then put it up for sale. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and he actually did the, a, a a jet intake style engine in the thing. So, oh, you mentioned that before. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So I get the love affair with uh, with a vehicle and, and having the passion and the time and the care to actually bring your your this glory to life he was saying in the video that he's hoping that um well he pretty much said it's not for sale yeah and he said he's also he's like he's telling his kids he's like look when you get older what i if i pass away you don't want this car anymore he says i hope you just give it to, to some museum or something somewhere so people can see it and, and he doesn't want it sold i mean this is a passion project for him it's not about the money it's not about the money he spent doesn't want anything out of it and he just wants people to enjoy it he likes driving it down the street and seeing the the people right you know smiling as he drives by with this beautiful car and there's a lot of a lot of childhood memories for a lot of people you know from that film yep. and to, to see that just driving down your street <laughs> it's pretty awesome yes uh, it definitely would be a sight to be seen i think that's about it that's all the news i had there wasn't anything else going on that i could find I'm still amused by uh, the one that I did find the uh, the comments from uh, Charlie Booker. He's the uh, creator of the Black Mirror um, series on Netflix. Yes, and uh, he has uh, recently been co- commenting that he is uh, not currently doing any work for a season six uh, because he believes humanity could use a, a, a bleakness break. Yeah. Since uh, Black Mirror is known for its dystopian-style storytelling, um, uh, he feels we could all use a little breather from that kind of uh, point of view. So he's he's chosen not to pursue season six at this time. So thought that was interesting. Very interesting, and actually, it, it could start up a whole other conversation. Is you know the the future of entertainment whether. You know, will this make kind of a a, a little sea change in the uh, the attitudes in in Hollywood or or elsewhere? 
uh, about the type of uh, things that are created? Will we see sort of a return to the you know, the romantic comedies, or will musicals make a comeback? Or maybe we're not going to get that that the the darker toned films and the and the the darker elements on the television well, as much as we did before. Well, yeah, like you're talking about uh, the the happy memories of this car, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, that kind of film has kind of gone away. Uh, that just that that over the top, optimistic, just fun for the sake of fun kind of story. And, and I I think there's a shot at seeing some of that resurge. It always said for the longest time. I was like, oh, I just I don't like musicals. It's just too silly when they suddenly break into song and this and that and everything. But then I started realizing that there were so many musicals that i actually did like you know there'd be like someone would be talking like oh well that one's okay no that one's a fun one yeah. oh you should see this one and i actually really like this one you know i find myself recommending a musical even though probably two sentences or a conversation <laughs> ago i was saying how much i don't like musicals but then i'll say oh have you ever seen the one with james cagney yankee doodle dandy that's so much fun I'm like that is a musical right I'm like well yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> 1776 Fun, yes. See, that's another one. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Um, the Sound of Music is actually one that I will sit and watch. The Sound of Music. Mary. And so, yeah, Mary it just Poppins, turns out that it's <laughs> yeah, Mary Poppins. Um, yeah, so it just kind of turns out there's maybe just a few musicals I don't care for, but as a genre, yeah, actually, I won't know. If I'd say I'm a fan, but no, I don't mind at all. No, it's like it's like anything. Uh, it's not necessarily how it's done. If it's done well, you can appreciate it. I still can't get around, get myself around West Side Story. That one's still just... <laughs> I just still shake my head at that one. Boy, I don't know what boy, it is exactly. <laughs> maybe it's Maybe it's the whole idea. It's the theme. It's supposed to be you know, tough New York gangs that soft shoe. I, I just... <laughs> Well, you know, when compared against the reality of any kind of New York gang now, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the two don't kind of gel in the head. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll play a promo for another show. And when we get back, we're going to, as we said the last time we talked, we're going to look at 1971's Duel. Flash Pulp Podcast. Three to ten minutes of fiction brought to you thrice weekly. Now it's three, three, three apocalypses in one. Yeah! Suffering from tough, stuck-on humans? Well, twenty hellish hours of suffocation in the all-encompassing web of Carwick the Spider God will get them right out. Too many brains lying around? The ravenous mouths surrounding zombie-fighting Ruby will quickly clean those up. Nosy neighbors? Infect them with the murder plague, and watch as they dissolve into paranoid maniacs bent on the preemptive assassination of their friends and family. Why stop at one end of the world when you can have all three? You can find them all at flashpulp.com or search for them on iTunes. 
Dennis Weaver is David Mann, a businessman on a desert road trip to meet a client. It's just an ordinary day until he passes a run-down-looking tanker truck on the road. The driver of the truck apparently doesn't take kindly to being passed, and what begins as an example of harmless road rage turns into a terrifying game of cat and mouse as the trucker begins stalking man throughout his journey. Soon it becomes apparent that only one of these men will end the day alive. It's driver against driver in a deadly duel. This was a film that came up in discussion while we were talking about the car as being sort of a um, uh, an influence a to, precursor the car. to the car. A precursor. I was sure, and I've, I've, I must have seen this film at some point. This had to have been on, like we were saying before with WXIX, you know, Saturday or yeah. Sunday matinee. It had to be on. I had to have seen this film. No memory of watching this movie whatsoever. I watched this movie this week, and it might as well have been a first-time watch for me. I can honestly say that I... I I can't say when I saw this, and I would it would have been the 80s at some point, at the earliest, but I know that I have seen it. I was familiar with some of the goings-on, but yeah, this is, this is almost like brand new. Interestingly enough, even looking into some of this, I, I was surprised to find out it was originally an ABC movie of the week. Yes, it was actually a TV movie, and then it actually did go to a feature film uh, in the theaters after they went and filmed a couple additional scenes to pad out the the, the runtime a little bit. Yeah, that that was kind of a fun uh, little uh, note that I was not aware of at the time. And when you think about uh, this, is uh, Steven Spielberg's directorial debut, and uh, well, that it turns out to be his feature like. Directorial debut, yes. Because at the time he was a television director. He directed a lot of television, uh, uh, episodic television, TV movies like Duel. I mean, no studio would have given Steven Spielberg a major major motion picture deal at at this time in his career. So it was only by luck <laughs> that this thing turned out to be a really great film and really popular on television that the studio decided. Go back and film a few extra scenes, get it up to ninety minutes, and put it in the theaters. And that's where Steven Spielberg that, <laughs> suddenly turns into a movie director. That yeah, that that is an interesting way to get there. He he went in through the back door. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was doing what he knew, <laughs> and, and yeah. it gave him a shot at what he wanted. Even as a TV movie, I'm amazed at the production value of kind of what went into this film, especially when you. T- talk about the climax i hate to jump all the way to the end but you know this film was done i think i actually saw the the budget was relatively small it was like four hundred fifty thousand dollars or something in 1971 which is a lot of money in 1971 right it doesn't sound like a lot of money now but still uh, for a tv movie I mean, they end up blowing up or destroying a, a truck in real life. Right. <laughs> and like I said, I hate I hate jumping to the end. But, <laughs> but and since you jumped to the end, one of the things uh, this was a fuel truck. It was marked mm-hmm. flammable down the side of this, and 1971. Typically, you throw anything. Uh, you throw a tricycle over a cliff, and that thing is going up in flames. 
reference the TV show Chips. Right, yeah, because that happened at the end of every episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, sometimes repeatedly. Exactly. So, so you take that, and then you take this, and when they sent the truck over the cliff, there wasn't even a fire, and that's actually how that would work. <laughs> so, and I think you could you could read in a lot to whether or not this guy was really like a licensed trucker who was actually hauling anything. Um, this could have just be some psychopath with a big old rundown rig. Yep. With no fuel in it whatsoever, but it looks menacing. Oh, uh, yeah, no, in fact, one of the things I was reading is that apparently uh, Spielberg actually kind of did an audition for the truck because he, yes. he was looking for a specific look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and he picked the, uh, was it a Peterbilt? Yeah, 1955 Peterbilt. <laughs> Because he thought it looked like it had a face. Yes. So that's what he went with. Yeah, I'm not sure where to even begin with this, discussing this one. We've already jumped to the end, and I feel kind of bad for doing it. Um, You know, it's funny. I do want to say I don't have any memory of ever watching this film, but the short story that uh, was written by Richard Matheson, which is something we got to talk about, I remember actually reading that in my, I want to say it was, middle school or maybe freshman reader really in in school yeah it was actually in like we actually had a book it was you know lots of short stories or abridged whatever chapters in in english class this story was in there i remember reading it and they actually had um uh screen caps they had pictures from the film oh wow in in the uh within the story to highlight the story i needed better english teachers <laughs> I don't remember if it was actually ever any assigned reading. I just remember it being in there and me coming across it and then going ahead and reading it. So that's my probably more of experience with Duel was reading the Richard Matheson story. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was very cool. So it was kind of fun to... That's actually stuck with me. I remember elements of reading the story all these years later. And it was kind of fun, kind of like, oh, I remember that from the story while watching the film. That's... <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, no, I didn't get a chance to ever read the uh, short story. I didn't realize it was a short story till researching uh, uh, for this podcast. Yes, I, it's actually one I would like to look up and read again because if I'm not mistaken, they did change the ending. Oh yeah, since we'd already jumped to the ending and the end of the story. And uh, listeners can let me know if I'm mistaken. If you've read it more recently, if you have a better memory of it. Man's car, his it's it's stuck, it's not running, whatever. And he's on like a soft shoulder. The truck is barreling down at him from behind. Man's pretty much resigned. This is it. This is where I'm going to die. And the truck slips off the side of the road. Oh, really? It just it just come, it's coming right at him, and it just falls from its side oh. and misses the car and tumbles down the cliff. If I'm not mistaken, that's how the story ends. Wow. That's how the, the, the truck meets its fate. So dumb luck, no actual... Yes, which is a little bit more Richard Matheson, I think. Well, you would know better than I. I, 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 I don't know how I feel about one of those endings from the other. I kind of like the dumb luck. Of the of the story versus the uh, the climactic uh, showdown and 
explosion and, and car crash uh, ending of the film. Well, in defense of the film, if you're going to name it Duel, <laughs> at some point they actually have to fight. <laughs> so, All right, fair enough. So, Justin going with the title. But, no, I, I, I feel uh, what you're talking about when they talk about they just slide off the shoulder because that kind of parallels with how the whole thing starts, which is just, it just kind of happened. Like in the film, uh, when Dennis Weaver's character, uh, a man, comes up on, he, he's, he's leaving the city, he's on his way to his appointment, um, and he just happens to get behind a truck that just it just stinks. It it it's smelly. It's going a little slow. Um, and then when he tries to pass it, it it just launches this this tit for tat battle over who's going to have supremacy on the road. And it's also innocent. And it's also something. Probably each and every one of us has gotten ourselves into. <laughs> That's one of the things. That was one of the first things I thought of when I when I posted that I had watched the film. Is there's a very visceral connection that I think just about everyone can have with this film because it certainly wouldn't be. I would hope no one's experienced anything to this degree. But we've we've all encountered that that jerk driver that you've come up on a two lane road. And you, he's not going as fast as you are, and so you pass him, and then he gives you grief because you passed him, kind of thing. You've seen that you, we've been flipped off, or we've been honked at, or tailgated by some guy just because he's upset that suddenly you're in front. I think we've all experienced that. Oh, and I, I, I know any time I've ever been on a long trip and you come across that person on the highway that has done something to irritate you, and you find yourself constantly uh, re-meeting them along the trip. Um, either you've pulled off for a restroom break or whatever, and then all of a sudden you're back on top of each other. And, and at this point, you're in your head about it, whatever the reality of the situation is. And that's what I think I love about this film. Whether or not you've you've taken any kind of cruise down the highway and had this experience, even if you've thought you've had it, you've imagined it out to the nth degree about what's going to happen. And this film acts out what our imaginations all go through when that one person has slighted you on the road. (laughs) This just takes it to that level that now now you're in a... uh, There are times in the film uh, where you're not sure that there's actually still something going on because man's very much in his head during all this. Um, And there are those times he gets off the road and uh, he's, he's got an opportunity not to have anything else happen, and yet it comes back up. And you don't know if some of that's just driven by where he's at more than... Um, the actual circumstances that are unfolding in front of you. I think it's always impressive when you have a film that can be carried by a single actor, which 98% of this film is just Dennis Weaver in his car. Yeah, when I saw the list of actors, I didn't actually realize there were that many in the film. Yeah, but so many of them are 
you know, customer number three. Right. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I, and they've been on screen for all of 60 seconds. You could probably count on one hand how many people actually have speaking lines in this film. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you need two hands, but you still have fingers to spare. Depending on voiceovers. Uh, I, and I, I'm going to just jump in here. Uh, where the film starts uh, caught me. I, I, I had to giggle a little to myself because... Uh, he's listening to the radio on his way out of the town, and of all things, they're talking about the census. Yes, and we're in the middle of a census. <laughs> so please go out and fill out your census if you haven't. Uh, that's the responsible thing to do. <laughs> that, that's brought to you by whoever cares right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was the uh, that was one of the most uh, one of the more horrific elements of the film for me is that he was listening to a, one of the uh, radio disc jockeys doing a uh, one of those uh, prank phone calls, oh. and I absolutely hate hate those things. <laughs> yeah, they are a little less hard to listen to, but uh, but yeah, uh, even during that for the first half hour or so of the film uh the radio is as much a uh actor in the film as anyone else yeah the film opens with just him pulling out of the driveway going driving through la he gets further and further out of the city you know less congestion less traffic more open space until he finds himself you know in in the desert uh, driving along and it's just it's just him and nobody else and minding his own business listening to the radio it's a very like low key way to start a film. Maybe not surprised. I was just kind of glancing through some of the reviews on IMDb, and for the most part, it's a very well liked film. But you know, there's always obviously not everything is for everyone, right. and there is a lot of people that have given out know, one star. This is such a boring movie. It's just about some guy and he's just fighting, arguing with some guy in a truck. And I'm like, yes. What? <laughs> well, that's that's all you really got from this. And, and, and I'm not going to lie. There are times uh, where, look, it, it's a film from 1971 that was originally made for television. There are those moments where you feel that, um, mm. where it's it, it's a little slow, um, granted. But what I came to appreciate is, I, I mean, really... It, there's no speaking. You don't even know the guy's name right away. And yet you can totally picture yourself. You're in the moment with them because this is a moment we've all lived in one fashion or another at one point. Uh, and it's it's instantly relatable. So when he the angst with the truck driver starts to creep in, you're there with them. You've been mm-hmm. in that situation. <laughs> And I think that's where the you have to take the film as a whole. You can't really ding it for being slow in the beginning because it is setting it up. It's setting it's it's setting the scene. It's putting you in that same position. We've all just gone out for that that drive, the vacation, everything starts smoothly and then somewhere down the way you almost get hit, you know, you you almost get rear-ended. You you have some confrontation or something with some other driver. It, it's happened, and it all starts the same way. You don't you don't leave the house going. I'm pretty sure the days of the day that I'm going to get in a duel. <laughs> you know? Well, the funny thing is, uh, like I can actually picture uh, being behind 
that particular truck cursing that <laughs> I'm stuck behind this this stinky diesel uh, <laughs> slow rolling monster that won't get out of my way. <laughs> Yeah, or on a winding road in a double yellow, and you're like, ah, hurry up. Where's the passing lane? Oh, yeah, and as you approach an incline that you just know, okay, well, we've gone from 30 miles an hour to 22. Right. Now's the time to pull over for that picnic. Yep. yep. <laughs> just let him get up the hill. I'll catch him down the road later. So we should talk a little bit about the star, and this time there is really just a star of the film. Um, We talked, you know, last time we talked with the biggest star was the vehicle, was the car. Yes, maybe that's a little bit of the case in this one too. But uh, Dennis Weaver plays, as I said, plays a David Mann. He spent about uh, I think was nine years as a deputy Chester Good on uh, Gunsmoke. Yep, but honestly. I know him more about stuff that he did later. I know him from more of the like the you know the mystery movies, uh, McCloud. Yeah, and that's really kind of where my uh, Dennis Weaver knowledge begins and ends. I have to I have to say, and that's about the extent of what I have for, for Dennis <laughs> yeah. Weaver too. It's not not like he's on a poster on my wall. <laughs> Again, prolific television actor, uh, Gunsmoke did a lot of. Uh, a lot of roles, a lot of series, uh, both guest starring and starring. Um, yeah, but McLeod and, and Duel, that's pretty much where I know Dennis Weaver from. Uh, but he does, and in this film, I think it's great, is he is, and he really comes across as an everyman. Yes. I mean, he's not the action star. He's not the Hollywood heartthrob, or he's not the completely, you know, uh, milquetoast whatever yeah (laughs) i can't think can't i i I didn't have the sentence to finish that (laughs) yeah i did not i don't have the words but no he's just this this perfect average average man right down right down to the name (laughs) yes well i think that was definitely intentional he is kind of like the uh willie loman Uh, and he he does a fantastic job of that. I think he was very well cast. I I think they did a, a very smart thing by putting someone like Dennis Weaver in this role. Building on that, um, one of the scenes that uh, both captured his ordinariness is when he stops to have a conversation with his wife over mm-hmm. something that just did not go well. Yeah, some argument from the night before or something. They are not happy with each other. This is a guy who is in a rut job with a rut family on a average day. <laughs> when we get to the parts where he's having his his little duel with the this truck, again, we get nothing from the truck's perspective. The, this is just an ominous figure in his life. And while there is real confrontation between the two of them as they 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 make their moves on the highway and the truck stalks him throughout his day, you do get this sense that while he's panicked about it, Dennis Weaver is very good in I think he likes it a little. This is Yeah. There he he's getting to step outside of his humdrum life and he is 
he is in it. So while you get that sense of panic, I don't want to die, but I feel kind of alive. Mm-hmm. You definitely get that toward by the the middle door, definitely towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. There, there is a certain bit of uh, the adrenaline, the rush is kind of uh, yeah. He's he's enjoying it. Uh, he's he's starting to like this when he actually starts kind of trying to kind of play with this truck. Yeah. Uh, you know he he he's kind of pushing it a little bit, and I think that's probably what gets him in trouble is for a little bit there. He's like, aha, I did it. And I'm excited. And he's kind of toying with him and he's like trying to get the better of him. And that's, I think when it starts really ramping up and then now suddenly he saw, he finds himself fighting for his life. Yes. I mean, now it's, it becomes very real to him that, Oh, okay. I might die today. And that's where the, the panic sets in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so you do. You get that nice slow build where uh, he starts with he's nervous, but he's kind of excited. He's playing with it um, as it goes when he is in panic, but he's planning. Um, Mm -hmm. He's strategizing. It's a game now in his head on what I'm going to do to get through this until it starts getting really real. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I love uh, some of that too. I like actually like that the fact that they give us a little bit of his inner monologue. Yes, and, you know, there's a lot of times where there's these sort of show don't tell philosophy in a lot of films, but I think in this one, I th- I think it's okay. I think it actually this film actually benefits from it to give us sort of what he's thinking in in his head and not having him talk out loud. I think I would have been a little bit annoyed if he just sat there and talked to himself. Yes. (laughs) So I like that they gave us the inner monologue occasionally. No, and and we've all been there when he did talk out loud, when you're shouting at the car, come on, a little more. Uh, Yeah. um, We've been in those moments, especially if you've been, if you've been back in the day and had a shitty beater car. (laughs) Yes. We've all urged it to, come on, you can do a little bit more. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Having been in the car with you, I know you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've all had those experiences where if I just squeeze the steering wheel a little tighter, I'll make it to the gas station. Yeah, That's how you got that Firebird to move. (laughs) (laughs) The truck, and we never really see the driver. And that's another real brilliant kind of piece of this. This is almost like the the, the Jaws thing. You yes. know, don't show, even though you, you see the truck, you see the enemy, you never see the guy driving it. So the truck itself becomes the villain. Yes. And I think that's very cool. Uh, you get a very brief, like, side shot as he drives by at one point, but his face is so obscured by just, just. dust, the speed he's driving, and shadow you, you can't make out any features. You maybe see him at one point when a man stops at a diner and the truck's parked outside. So someone at in in this diner may in fact be the driver, but we never, the way it's shot, you know, we don't see him come in because of all the activity that goes on in the diner. We don't see if he leaves. So maybe we see him, maybe we don't. Oh, and that- So it's always just the truck that's the beauty of the psychology of the film again this is that uh, conversation around uh this is as much in this guy's head as it is in reality um uh, mm-hmm. while he's in that diner uh and he the up to that point the only thing that he's seen of the truck driver is 
the hand out the window and the boots of... And the thing about the boots is he saw the boots on the other side of the truck while he was at a gas station. Doesn't necessarily mean it was that driver. Because, the again, he's never been able to put driver and truck in the same view at the same time. So uh, everybody in that diner, he is scrutinizing furiously to figure out which guy is it uh should i talk to him should i not talk to him uh when Mm -hmm. he does pick somebody that goes horribly wrong (laughs) yes (laughs) the actual the real driver of the truck was a uh a stunt man whose history goes back to the 1930s oh wow he's he specialized in uh in car truck and uh uh motorcycle stunts and stunt work uh, you got him responsible for uh, chase sequences and in, in something as 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 fun as the love bug, and as gut wrenching on the edge of your seat as bullet. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, uh, he worked on uh, Diamonds Are Forever, The French Connection, big long long career. Uh, William, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Gary Lofton is his name. He also appeared as a Carrie, as just like an extra. Carrie, Lofton. Carrie, what did I say? I'm sorry. You said Gary. Gary, Gary, Gary Lofton is his name. So he was a he did tons of stunt work, and he also would appear on screen as well. But usually, is just you know thug number two, and, you know some some extra or just you know truck driver, <laughs> something like that. Apparently, um, he asked Spielberg kind of what his motivation for why is he why is this driver doing this, and Spielberg told him because he because you're a really mean you know sob. And Lofton said, oh, you got the right guy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, I am marveling at this guy's career uh, in stunt work. He's been in, like, everything. Yeah, you got his filmography up. It's just, it goes on and on and on. You just keep scrolling. There's all you need right there. I'm looking at, uh, he did tons of stunt driving in Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A-team. Night Rider. I mean, that's the hat trick for the '80s. <laughs> he worked in almost every television series you can think of, uh, MacGyver to Magnum PI. Yep. Ooh, he was in the War of the Worlds TV series. <laughs> oh well, we'll <laughs> definitely put that on the top of your list there. <laughs> he he was in Raiders of the Lost Ark as a stunt driver. Dude, he was in Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> <laughs> The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo. Oh, yeah, wow. no, amazing career, just yes. all over the place. Uh, yeah, very cool. I just want to dedicate an episode to just talking about this guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go back and watch all the episodes that he, he drove in, and we'll see how good they are. Uh, yeah, we'll make it somewhere into his our 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap, this is a long list. <laughs> Starting back in 1937. Yes. Oh, wow. This guy yeah. has had quite the career. Enormous career. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Basically, when they first built the car. Yeah, no wonder he was so good at it. But yeah, so no, he did an awesome job driving this truck. Uh, I mean, granted, most of it was, and this was another fantastic feat of film work. Uh, they said that the truck actually never really drove much faster than 30, 35 miles an hour. Yeah. 
but they just used a lot of good camera trickery. They did a lot of filming from very low or where you just see where you could see the, the, the wheels in the ground, which gives it kind of a false sense of speed uh, or, or of greater speed. Um, so I think very, very clever uh, film work and kind of, you know, hats off to you can see where Spielberg, you know, his star was still rising, but you could definitely see where people were starting to go, hmm, this guy might have something. <laughs> yeah, he might know a thing or two. In fact, uh, I did note watching this, like uh, when we were talking about the car the last time, um, they did that trick where um, at whatever speed they're driving, they speed up the film just a, t- a bit to give it more of that sense of uh, uh, extra speed to it. And Regardless of the speed uh, that he had to maneuver this uh, thing, um, it, it's its presence on the screen that makes it intimidating. And mm-hmm. how well he maneuvers it in, in the even less violent things. Um, one of the one of my more favorite scenes, again dealing with the psychology that's building in this film, is uh, David Mann pulls over at the bus. The bus with the kids. The bus is broken down. And he pulls over and and he doesn't want to help this bus because he's frantic about where this truck is. So when he feels finally obligated to do something, and of course his little uh, Plymouth Valiant can't get the job done, um, and he gets stuck, and then the truck reappears, and he gets panicked out of his mind, willing to tear up his own car to get away, and then just as he gets away... The truck helps the bus. <laughs> and, and that beautiful little... And, and again, you have to drive these kind of trucks to, to appreciate just how how skilled it was to do what he did. And it's such a little thing, but it is. Because this truck is being intimidating through the whole thing and the way that it's behaving, and then when it decides to screw David Mann and I'm going to help the bus now, it does this little, this very simple, almost ballet-like pull around in a loop to a perfect arc till it comes up behind the bus. And like, that's awesome, because now now it's super gentle. It's friendly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Gentle was the word I was I was looking for, or not looking for, but I was going to say. It, it does. It looks like someone that you just saw abuse a puppy. And then turn around and just and then do something like gently change his baby's diaper or something. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what the hell just happened? Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, uh, as David Mann is driving away and he is seeing what's happening, this is blowing his mind at the moment because it's mm-hmm. it, it both is like what just happened, and this guy is essentially saying. F you to me that, okay, well, get, not only am I hunting you down, but you're not even a man. You couldn't help out this bus. I helped out the bus. I'm now the hero. Yeah. And, and you know all of that's playing in his head, and it's making him furious that, that he couldn't help while he was panicked, and the thing that's hunting him took care of the job. <laughs> If you just look at some of this film on its very surface, if you don't, all, all you got to do is scratch the surface a little bit, and you get some really fantastic themes like that. You mm-hmm. get the idea that that this the man is 
in his humdrum life and this is like his big chance of excitement and then you see the panic set in when it's really okay this isn't what i want and then yeah you suddenly his manliness is being threatened yeah uh like you just described is that's all under the under under that surface if you just look at this as oh this is just red rage and a you know a, a mean guy in a truck is trying to you know mess with this guy yeah then this is maybe a little boring or this is a, the stupid film. But man, you got to look a little deeper. And you don't have to look that deep. <laughs> no, know? and that, that ties all back to the phone call with the wife where for 1971, um, he's been emasculated by his wife. She is, mm-hmm. she is essentially bitching him out. And she owned that conversation on the phone. He did not come out ahead in that conversation. And she ended it. Ended that conversation, which again, uh, in uh, thinking in 1971 terms, that does not sit well with this man who is already not in a good place in his life. So to watch the villain become the hero in a moment just further drives him mad in this situation. And for those that thought the, the film was boring, they are not looking at these moments. The, it's about these moments that that makes the film. Yeah, this is an, another one of these films. And much like almost every horror film we've ever seen, I always think the more interesting story is what comes the day after. Yes. <laughs> Admittedly, again, this is one of those films. Uh, when we get to the end, it just ends. Um, mm. the The situation is over. And, although I do kind of like this one a little bit because it at that moment it is over. Um, he yeah. he has no vehicle. The truck is dead. So is the driver. At least presumably, you get only a little sense of death from a little blood drip uh, in the truck. He's spent. He, he's emotionally and physically spent. He is down on the ground, and all he can do is throw rocks. <laughs> so that's all he's got left. Yeah, it does beg the question, what's the end of the day slash tomorrow look like with the wife? <laughs> yeah, what does he do after this? Does he just try to get the rest of his life in order now, or does he just say, screw it, starting over? <laughs> Yeah, is this a life-changing moment, or is this one of, uh, and this is where we can all uh, say, is this one of those moments that happened in our life that then becomes a blip? There was a fork in the road given, and you still took the path you were already on. (laughs) Yeah, does this just become a story he tells at a dinner party that only half the people believe? Right. (laughs) The big fish tale. Whether you were going to get to it or not, uh, one of the things while I was researching this, um, and much like when we were watching the car, um, the backdrop is very important in uh, in this. Again, a desert scene, uh, very stark. And one of the things that I noted in uh, like uh, Spielberg's selection for this was like he didn't give a he cared about the truck he wanted a certain look to the truck he didn't really give a crap about the car except it had to be red right uh, i read that he needed it to be red because he wanted it to sit out stark against the uh, the more drab but scenic backdrop of the desert i think there's a lot of 
a lot of reasons why you would want that. One, it's got to be a little easier to film. Where is he? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Can you he's pick supposed to be coming down. Oh, there he is. Yeah, you don't want the brown car. <laughs> <laughs> Not the family truckster? <laughs> no. Yeah. So I think there is, it, and it is, it becomes more visually interesting for the audience as well, as well as just being just easier to track your shot if you've got something that stands out that much better. But, I mean, I love that it is the red car, but it is the most bland red car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Plymouth Valiant there was not a uh, a show winner there. <laughs> not a show stopper for sure. But I, I did, I, I did well, one, and you didn't want it to be the show stopper anyways. This couldn't be, this had to be David and Goliath. And literally, again, his name is David. Uh, yes. <laughs> So uh, you wanted it to be the David and Goliath. You wanted him to be the constant underdog. There was no other than other than like when he got super stoked that he was just going to get to the incline because he knew on an incline he had he had that truck. It couldn't keep up. And yet he's in a vehicle that if there were any vehicle that was going to have a trouble, this is that vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> So it made it believable, too, when all of a sudden uh, he's already abused the crap out of this this car this entire time. That So it's not uh, a far stretch that uh, it's going to have a problem right at the climax. I've definitely been there in the middle of nowhere uh, with radiator problems. Oh, God. <laughs> I've had not a radiator hose, fortunately, but I've had a thermostat go bad on my way. I'm driving home from Colorado. And I got a car that's, you know, on the rise is overheating. And so I have to, like, get up to the hill and, like, ah, oh, good. And so you can, like, kick it into neutral as you go down the hill and let the temperature drop back down. And, <laughs> and then it rises back up for a little while, and then it drops back down on all the on all the downs, you know, hills. So, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I've had that panic. I totally can get that. Fortunately, fortunately I didn't have a crazed truck driver after me at the time. <laughs> No, but when you're in those moments, you might as well. <laughs> if anything, it keeps your mind off of the crap that's going on with your actual car. <laughs> you do got to love those moments, though, in the film where they just totally, uh, it's a plot point, because uh, uh, that radiator hose came up so many <laughs> times. Yeah, that was definitely like Chekhov's radiator hose. You mentioned it in the first act. It has to blow in the second act. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, and, and yeah. It was from the time the uh, the first uh, first gas station attendant said something to now he's having it checked by the old lady. <laughs> and what was it with the rattlesnakes? <laughs> oh, what? Just just a sideshow. Just one of those, you know, pull along the side of the road, get gas, pay a quarter, and go pet the uh, goat or whatever. Interestingly enough, on uh, Amazon Prime, if you go to watch the trailer, uh, the trailer is is the scene at the uh, at the old lady's gas station. Oh, wow. And I, I couldn't help but be amused at uh, the fact that even uh, David Mann is commenting, this is a strange damn place for a phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> Who puts a booth out here? Yeah, yeah, because it was just kind of in the middle of nowhere, in the just in the middle there. of the field. Yeah. <laughs> when the food, when the film can even kind of find a moment to make fun of itself, uh, the, you gotta love it. Now, the last thing I wanted to really talk about was the uh, the screenwriter 
well, the, the, the author of the short story and the screenwriter here, uh, Richard Matheson. Yes. You'd be, I think anybody, if you're, especially if you're a science fiction fan or science fiction and horror fan, I think if you go and look at his filmography or, you know, his, uh, his, his collection writings. of, of his writings, his, his short stories, his books, his screenplays, uh, you may not know it, but you are a Richard Matheson fan. He has written so much, so many things. I have discovered a couple things just by looking at his filmography, uh, some, or looking at some of the things that he's written. I didn't know that he wrote. He worked on the screenplay for uh, Real Steel, oh, wow. which was one that uh, just watched not all that long ago, and I actually really enjoy that film. Yeah, no, perusing it my, myself right now, I'm amazed at how many things. Uh, uh, he did some of the work on Twilight Zone, the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the amazing stories episodes, and this goes all the way back to like uh, the Incredible Shrinking Man, the the classic film. He wrote the the book on that. I Am Legend was his novel. Yes, which was has been uh, turned into films multiple times. Last Man on Earth, the Omega Man, uh, the actual I Am Legend. Yeah, just uh, he's been involved in the newer Twilight Zone series. He's a name that as soon as his name comes up on any film I'm watching, I know the story is going to be interesting. We'll, we'll see about whether the acting is any good. You know, there's probably been a few that haven't been uh, uh, realized quite as well as you would like, but the story is going to be good. Yes, from this list, uh, uh, clearly I've been enjoying his, uh, oh God, even the stir of Echoes. Yeah, no, apparently I've been a fan of this man without actually knowing it for quite some time. <laughs> yes. All those credits that you don't pay attention to. Oh, and he was a writer on the TV miniseries The Martian Chronicles, which is a great miniseries. I love that miniseries. Love the book. The book is awesome, too. I love the book more than the miniseries, but I do enjoy that miniseries. Yes, just a long career of lots of memorable stuff. Yeah, lots of lots of work for television, uh, film, uh, and just yeah, uh, novels and short stories. Very talented man. Yeah, but that is all I really have uh, on Duel. It was so much fun to watch. Like I said, I just if I watched it, I don't remember. So for me, this was like a first time watch. Sounds like it was very similar to you. But yeah, damn fun film. I mean, it is. You're not bored at any point through this film. I don't think. And the ports where you thought you might be bored, because like I said, I, I had that sense that some of the folks have talked about where may, maybe this is boring, but it, there's a point to the boredom at, at those stages of the film that make you appreciate the rest of it later. I'll like, I started out going, hmm, uh, you know, this is a little slow, a little, a little humdrum, and then like, yeah. oh, wait. Is anything going to happen? Yeah. yeah. Uh, wait, I'm in the moment, and then oh, oh, oh wow, okay, the, the, no, I, I, I'm there, I'm in it, I'm, I, I'm living it with this guy, and I can totally see how all of this unfolds, and I was like, mm -hmm. it does start chilling you. <laughs> I think for me, anyway, because I know, I already knew what was coming, even though I hadn't seen the film, at least not in any actual memory, but having read the story and knowing about the film. Knowing what was coming, it kind of helps get me through that first 15, 20 minutes of the film where a lot of people, if you don't know what's coming, you might go, yeah, and I can't, it's almost hard to believe that this being a TV movie, 
that this is how it starts. I'm thinking, this is risky because people were going to change your, change the channel. <laughs> you know? Granted, you were locked into only so many choices in 1971. Uh- <laughs> yeah, yeah. You only, yeah, you probably only had three or four choices, but still people could easily change the channel on you. Now I I can see where as a motion picture where you're, you're trapped in the theater, you've paid your ticket. You're going to sit there. Yeah. That's maybe a little bit more. You you can get away with that kind of stuff, but doing it as a TV movie, I admit that that was a risky, risky first 20, 30 minutes of this film. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I can't. The fact that it, it caught so much attention enough to actually transition from television to feature film is impressive. It means that there were there was an audience that appreciated what what he actually pulled off in this film. Then, unfortunately, you never hear about the director again. Just no. faded away. No, yep. <laughs> we really need a where is he now? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. What's his name? Something Spy Spy Spielberg? Yeah, I, something like that. Stefan Spielberg. No, really great film. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it came up in conversation, and I'm glad. You know, like I said, I've been meaning to watch this one for the longest time, so I was really happy to have an excuse to finally get a, you know, get, get off my ass and do it. <laughs> yeah, good time. Love it. Next time, uh, we brought this up uh, the other day, or the last time we recorded. I talked about the Werewolf on Wheels. Uh, I did reach out to Nick Brown. He'd be very interested in joining us again for that one. Excellent. So we'll we'll go from uh, a car to truck to motorcycles <laughs> in two weeks. We seem very vehicle driven uh, over the course of this year. So we have been. We're going to have to find. I don't know. We'll have to watch uh, something on about ten speeds or something, or <laughs> chariots of fire, and and in four weeks, yeah, <laughs> just just lots of running in slow motion. We'll get for that matter. Let, you know what? If we're just going to do slow motion running, let's just watch Baywatch. <laughs> well, if you're going to watch slow motion walk, running, you might as well enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So hopefully we'll be back in a couple of weeks with Nick Brown to talk about the again staying in the seventies uh, werewolf on wheels. It's available on Amazon Prime. If anyone wants to check it out, please do so. I would. I think it'll be a fun time. It's uh, definitely an interesting film, I think. And uh, Nick, I think, is going to be... I have a feeling the episode may turn into just sort of like a, a general uh, episode werewolf. on werewolf. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's going to be steeped in werewolf lore and knowledge. <laughs> I can't wait to bathe in the fur. It's an interesting way. I was maybe moonlight, uh, but sure, fur, sure. If that's where you want to go. <laughs> okay, uh, not every joke can be a gold one. <laughs> that's true. If you didn't, if you didn't have the bombs every now and again, we wouldn't know what the good ones were, right? That's right. How can you appreciate genius if there is an occasional trip over uh, banana peel? <laughs> exactly. All right, so we'll be back in a couple weeks again. Tom, thanks for joining me for this one. It's been a good time. Always a pleasure. I actually was surprised we got this much conversation out of one guy in a truck. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing better than one guy in a truck. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. See ya.